church. Morning. Welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you are here today. What a joy it is to gather in this place and to worship and to be together. And, and let me say again, yeah, Aiden, great job, man. Thank you for leading us in communion this morning. So, so thankful for you. So proud of you, man. And so grateful for you stepping into that role this morning to bless us in that way. What an incredible day uh, to gather. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for Aiden stepping in this morning because we're in the middle of a series all about families, all about our kids, all about our teenagers, and all about how we as a church can be thoughtful about helping the next generation step into this, this mysterious thing. Let's call it what it is, called faith. And today I want us to, to, to think deeply about, about what that means. Because I don't know about you, but it feels like time is just flying by, right? I mean, I woke up this morning and it's already May. Who's with me? Can you believe it? It's like unbelievable. It feels like time is moving at just like warp speed right now. It feels like there's some days where the days are so slow and it takes so long to get from morning to night. And then you wake up one day and you're like, where did all the time go? And, and especially this happens, right, for parents, for, for families, right? And, and what we're saying throughout the series is as we think about as we begin to think about how we, how we count the time we have, we want to be thoughtful about how we can make the time we have count. And that's especially true when it comes to our kids and their faith. So I want to start with, with this question this morning. What would happen? What would happen if our children, what would happen if your children, if your grandchildren grew up amazed? Amazed with Jesus and filled with wonder, a sense of wonder as they realize just how much their Heavenly Father loves them. Now, I don't know about you, but um, on a personal level, 
I love like magicians. I love watching magicians like do magic. Anybody out there fans of this kind of stuff? I love, uh, it blows my mind and I'm always, I'm always just left thinking, how in the world did they do that? It's just unbelievable to watch like people that are really good at this do this. And I'm always, I always have that curiosity, like how did that happen? How did they do that? It's always just amazing to me to watch a good magician do his tricks. I'm not a magician, and I'm certainly not a good magician, but I love, like with little kids, you know, my, uh, we've got family in town this weekend. All of our nieces are in town. Alicia's family's in town, and it's been fun with them. You can do magic tricks with them, and they love, they love, they've been good to let me practice on them this week. There's the old, you know, removable thumb trick. You've done this one, you know, kids are little. You can get away with this. They get older. They figure it out real fast, but, you know, where you pull your thumb off, and they're like, whoa, how did you just do that? That was amazing. And I love this trick because I can do this trick and it doesn't hurt at all. It's amazing. When they get a little older, you can do the, uh, the old quarter behind the ear trick, you know, that used to work. It doesn't work anymore. I think it's because of inflation. Now they want you to do that with a 20 and then give it to them. And I'm not, I'm not good at it anyway. But one of my favorite tricks is the old rope trick. And I needed a volunteer. So I asked Jonathan Cates, my buddy, to come up. Come on, Jonathan. Would you guys give Jonathan a round of applause? Come on, come on, come on. Make him feel loved. There you go. So Jonathan's going to help me with this. Now, Jonathan, I started by saying I'm not a real magician, right? And so I'm going to do this, and I'm hoping I can, I can amaze you with, with what little skill and talent I have in this area. This is just a regular rope, right? You want to fill this rope? You want to check it out? I bought this from Walmart yesterday. There's nothing at all special about this rope, right? It's just a normal rope. So what I want to do this morning, and you see I'm just going to take it and fold it in half here. And I thought what we could do is just take this rope, right? And I thought we could just cut it in half, right? And as we cut it in half, here we go. Just cut this in half right there. Now we got, we got two pieces of rope. we got four ends, right? And we'll just take these ends and we'll fold these in. But, but nobody likes to have, you know, it would be better if it was just one. We shouldn't have cut it in half. Let's, let's fix that. There we go. I tied it back together, right? Now, here's the magic part. This is your part. Can you blow on the knot? That's a, <laughs> If you got COVID, we both got it. Okay, here we go. So I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> Here, here's, the ma- now, here's the magic, right? So it'd be better, don't we agree, if this was just one rope and not two. So let's just pull that right off. You just did that. How did you do that, Jonathan? That was amazing. Here you go. You want to keep that? Was that? Is that a pretty good magic trick? You know how I did that? I don't either. Everybody give Jonathan a big round of applause. Awesome job. You can keep that knot. Well done. Well done. You know, what happens, though, is that for a lot of us, we grow up, and, and we see somebody do a magic trick, right? We see them cut a rope in half, tie it together, and then somehow, you know, pull it off. Um, and you think, how do they do that? And so you know what you do. You do what I do. You know what I did, right? You went on YouTube and you looked up the trick. <laughs> and you learned how to do that. And it was amazing. And then you can show other people how you did it. But somewhere along the way, because you went and you looked it up and now you can explain it, what happens? You just lost the wonder. You lost the amazement. You lost the awe. You lost, you lost that, that ability to be amazed in the moment by something that at the time, in your mind, was completely unexplainable. That happens for a lot of us as adults, right? The older we get, the, the, the less we're likely to be filled with a sense of awe and wonder and amazement because we've, we've got the ability now to go figure it out. We can explain it. We can understand it, right? And then something happens. We begin to lose that capacity as adults for wonder. And what happens? What happens when that happens? What happens when we lose our wonder? You know what happens because you've experienced this. What happens when we lose our wonder? 
We start becoming skeptical, don't we? We start becoming critical. We even can be a little judgmental. when We start to lose that capacity for awe and wonder, right? I mean, I grew up, some of you grew up like this too, watching Scooby-Doo. Remember Scooby-Doo? Uh, it was a great TV show. Every, every, like every episode followed the same basic plot line, right? There's a, there's a mystery in town. Something's happening in town. Something, something no one can explain. It's unexplainable. It's very mysterious. The, 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 the house down the street is haunted, and no one can understand what's going on. But have no fear. Scooby-Doo and friends are here. They roll up in their van called, by the way, the mystery machine, right? And then through a, a series of unfortunate events, they, they finally unraveled the, the mystery that was. It, everybody thought the the house down the street was haunted, but what really happened was it was the greedy banker who had a, a mask on and had a system of, of pulleys and ropes, and he was able to create the illusion of something that was going on. And, and what did Scooby-Doo and friends do? They, they unveiled the trick. They showed everybody what was formerly unexplainable now is explainable. What, what, what was something that was, uh, they couldn't understand, now it's understandable, right? And because of that, they've lost the wonder and what happened is now we've grown up with a generation of people that anytime we see something we can't explain or we don't understand what do we do well, we go look it up and we assume that there's a trick behind it and if we can understand it, if we can explain it then then now we know and because of that we've lost that sense of wonder but here's what I want you to understand today especially and I want you to lean into this truth that God created Every one of us with a capacity to wonder, to be filled with awe, to be amazed so that, so that you could be drawn to him. And you see this. You see this in the life and the ministry of Jesus when he walked the planet, right? Because Jesus enters the scene and what happens? People are literally amazed at the things that he says, at the things that he does. Everywhere he goes, especially in the first years of his ministry, people are coming from everywhere to see him and to hear him because every time he speaks, they're amazed. Every time he performs a miracle, they are literally amazed. And so I want you this morning to look at one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. If you have your Bibles or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that up real quick to Mark chapter 2. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you go down and you click on more in the bottom right-hand corner, then events. You can click on Riverside and you can follow along in the notes there. But I want you to see this story. Mark was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. So this is an eyewitness account of something that happened in the life and the ministry of Jesus. This is a story that I don't think we find anywhere else. Only Mark gives it to us. And and I want you to hear this incredible moment at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Now hold on to that, we'll come back to that. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. So just a couple of really quick notes before we dive into the story. I want you to notice this, right? Mark says Jesus has returned to Capernaum. And then he says this, maybe you've never seen this before, but I think this is really, really awesome. He says Jesus has returned home. Most people, most scholars agree that during Jesus' ministry years, during, during those years of ministry in Galilee, 
Capernaum was his hometown. This is the place that he called home during this part of his life. A few years ago, Alicia and I got to, know, got to go to Israel. Some of you remember that. When we did, we got to go to Galilee. We got to go to Capernaum. And I took this picture when we were there. You'll see it on the screen behind me. There's signs like this all over town. Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Capernaum, the hometown of Jesus. This idea of having a place to call home was important to Jesus. A, a community where people know you by name. A neighborhood where you're known. A, a, a family that, that you belong to. This was something that was important important to Jesus. And during his ministry years in Galilee, Capernaum, this was his hometown. This is where he lived. This was home base for him, right? And this idea of home, this idea of place and location being important, this was always important to Jesus in the life of Jesus. A lot of you know this because you, you think about it, you remember, oh yeah, Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem. That's the town of his birth. That's the place of his birth. Where was he raised? In Nazareth. Where was home for him during his ministry years? Capernaum. Where, where was home for Jesus when he was away from home doing his work in Jerusalem? Oh, that was a place called Bethany, where he stayed and lived with his very best friends in the world, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Everywhere Jesus went throughout his life, there was always a place that he called home. Home was important to Jesus. I think your home is important to Jesus. So Mark says, Jesus was home, and apparently a small group was at his house that day, and more people came than he expected. In my mind, I think it was kind of like our extravaganza, like people were everywhere. He had no idea, like when he sent out the Facebook post, who was going to come that day, and they showed up. The house is packed, there are people everywhere, they're peering in the windows, they're looking through the door, people have come over, and Jesus in the middle of this moment is thinking, what is happening? There are so many people that are here. Mark says, while Jesus was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, you may have heard this story, you may have read this story, but I want you to just imagine in your own mind, in your own mind's eye, this scene. These four guys, they showed up late. <laughs> they missed the memo on the start time. They get there late, but, but they're not there to hear Jesus. I mean, I'm sure they would love to hear what he has to say because people are apparently amazed at everything this man says. But they came to Jesus because they're on a mission. They want him to do something. They've heard that Jesus is a healer. They've heard that he has the ability, the power to work miracles. And their best friend has been stuck on a mat for God knows how long, paralyzed. And they are just hoping against hope that maybe Jesus can do something for their friend that only God can do. Mark says they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Too many people can't get through. So they decided to dig a hole through the roof above his head. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus in this moment, I'm thinking, okay, I'm at my house, small groups at my house, but a million people have showed up. There's no room. I'm trying to do small group with a large group. People are literally everywhere, and I'm trying to do this thing and tell these people about, about the Word of God. And all of a sudden, now there's debris falling from the ceiling. Who is digging a hole in my roof? Who's going to pay to fix that? Like, I might be getting really annoyed in this moment if I'm Jesus. There's good news. I'm not Jesus. Jesus doesn't think that way. Jesus sees these friends, and he sees this paralyzed man. And you know what Jesus does? Man, he loves them. And these friends, don't miss this, these friends love their friend so much that there's nothing they wouldn't do 
even if it means digging a hole in the roof of the house of Jesus. There's nothing they wouldn't do to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. And I want you to think about that. Because, I mean, what, what wouldn't you do? What wouldn't you do to help get your friends in front of Jesus, into the presence of Jesus, to have an encounter with Jesus that would change their life for the rest of their life. What, I'll tell you what, let's drop the anchor a little bit on this because we're talking about families, we're talking about our kids, our grandkids, our teenagers. What wouldn't you do to help your kids, your grandkids? What wouldn't you do to help our kids, our teenagers here at church have an encounter with Jesus that would change their life for the rest of their life? Tell you what, it's one of the reasons I'm so thankful for you. And I'm so thankful to to belong to this church. I'm so thankful for our leadership of this church. I'm so thankful that that every time we ask this question, the answer that we come up with is there's nothing we wouldn't do for our kids, our grandkids, for our teenagers. And so, you know what we do as a church? We invest in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry. There's nothing that we wouldn't do for them. Anytime Grace and Rhonda need anything, the answer is always yes. How can we help? What do you need? There's nothing we wouldn't do. It's one of the reasons I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to have this worship gathering. The, the, this is the one that so many of our teens and so many of our, of our, our, our neighbors, they love to come to. And in part, this is, it's not the whole reason, but in part, this is the answer to our question. There's nothing we wouldn't do to help our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors get into the presence of Jesus, to have an encounter with Jesus that would change their life for the rest of their life. And our motivation for that is the same motivation these friends had for their friend. Our motivation is love. And our desire is to to, to get people into the presence of Jesus where they can have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Mark says they dig a hole in the roof and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking the same thing that everybody at the house that day was thinking. Okay, Jesus, um, this man is paralyzed. The reason his friends brought him, the reason he's here, the reason he allowed himself to be lowered through your roof down into this room is so you could heal his legs. Like he can't walk. He wants to walk. But Jesus knows that more important than healing his legs is healing his soul. So often what we want is we want God to change our situation, but what God wants is to change our hearts. What's interesting is that it would have been so much easier for Jesus if he had just healed the man's legs. If Jesus had done what the paralyzed man wanted, if Jesus had done what his friends wanted, if Jesus had done what everybody in the house that day wanted him to do, it would have been easier for Jesus. But Jesus did the thing that no one expected him to do. Instead of saying, you're healed, he said, you're forgiven. And this made... The religious leaders who came over to his house that day, furious. Mark says some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what in the world is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. 
Mark says that Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Why? Because he's Jesus. He knows what you're thinking. So he asked them, why, why do you question this in your hearts? And then he asked them this question. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? What do you think? What's easier? What would have been easier for Jesus in that moment? To forgive him of his sin or to heal him of his paralysis so he could walk again? Jesus says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I'm about to prove this to you. Here's how. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said this, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And watch this. Mark says, the man jumped up. This wasn't a gradual healing. He didn't have to go to PT for the next six weeks. He didn't have to go see Dr. Doug to get things all sorted out. No, he jumped up. The man jumped up and he grabbed his mat and he walked through the stunned onlookers. They were completely astonished. And then listen to what Mark says next. They were all, I love this, they were all amazed. Just like Jonathan was at my little rope trick, right? Except this wasn't magic. They were all amazed. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have never, ever seen anything like this before. So let me just ask you a question. When was the last time that you were filled with wonder, amazed by Jesus? Think about that. When was the last time that you personally, on a personal level, you were filled with wonder and amazed by Jesus? Last year, um, some of you remember this as well, but our family was really blessed. We got to go and have a few weeks away on sabbatical. And a part of that was we wanted to spend some time with friends, people who, for us, it was these were life-giving relationships, right? And so... We have some friends in Colorado Springs, and we want to go spend some time with them. We haven't seen them in a long time. And, and our family, as a family, had never been to Colorado before. Me and Alicia, we'd been before. Will had just gotten back from Denver on a mission trip with Grayson to Denver Dry Bones with, with our, our student ministry here. And so he had been there, but our girls had never been. And again, we had never been together like as a, as a family. So we, we fly to Denver, we get off the plane, we get our rental car, and then we start driving to Colorado Springs. And as we're driving, like you can hear the audible gasp in the car as our kids are looking out the windows. We're like, don't look at your screens right now. Look out the windows. And everywhere they looked, they were just blown away because it looks like, I mean, it's different than Texas, right? I mean, it's pretty flat here. You get into Colorado and it's like these mountains have exploded from the ground and they're touching the heavens. And everywhere we went, we were just filled with amazement, with this awe and this wonder of everything we were seeing, whether we were going to the Garden of the Gods or whether we were going to Pikes Peak or whether we were taking a hike out somewhere, some nature trail we found out there on a mountain somewhere. It was just absolutely unbelievable everything that we were seeing as we were just surveying the different things. And, 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 and every chance we got, Alicia and I would just look at these incredible things that we were seeing and we would tell our kids, hey, here's what I want you to know. All of this that you see, the majesty of it all, the beauty of it all, the wonder of it all, these things that, that are just unbelievably breathtaking, the snow-capped mountains, everything, God made it all. And here's what's really amazing, the same God that created all of that, that same God created you. And that same God 
loves you. And that same God wants a relationship with you. And listen, we could have, we could have pushed pause on the moments of majesty and wonder and awe, and we could have explained some of the science behind it. Hey, let me tell you about the tectonic plates and how they move and how they create these things. Let me tell you about rivers and erosion and canyons and valleys, but we chose not to. You can do that and still enjoy and embrace the wonder of it all, but we just chose not to. We just chose in that moment to embrace the wonder and the beauty and and the majesty of it all and for them to understand that, that all of these things, all these things you're seeing, you know what this is, right? This is evidence. This is evidence of a God you cannot see. All these things that are filling your spirit and your mind and your soul and your heart with awe and wonder, all of it, all of it points to a creator. Creator who created everything you see and also created you. All of this, all of this points to the wonder and the awe and the majesty of our God. And we want you to know that the same God that made all of this made you. Because you know what this wonder does? You know what this mystery does? It creates faith. In fact, the Hebrew writer probably said it better than anybody has ever said it. Hebrews 11.1. Faith. What is faith? Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. This is the evidence. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That we, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Faith requires wonder and believing in what we cannot see. And this is why it's so important that we recover the ability to embrace the wonder because when we do, when we embrace the mystery, when we stop trying to explain the unexplainable and we just step into the mystery, we step into faith, and then it gives us the opportunity, right? As we re-embrace that wonder that maybe we lost to then incite wonder in our children. Incite wonder in the next generation so that they can grow up knowing just how much their Heavenly Father loves Church, if you would, let's stand. How do you do that? How do do you incite wonder in the next generation? How do you incite wonder in your children, in your grandchildren? Maybe you're a teacher in this church and you're in one of our classrooms with our kids or with our teenagers. How do you incite wonder in the hearts and lives of our kids, of our grandkids, of our teens, of our students? How do you do that? Let me give you three quick ways. First, let me invite you to look again at creation. Take them to the mountains. Take them to the ocean. Let them point out the the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations. Show them all the things that God has made. Show them the, the mountains and the trees and every animal you can find, the birds, and say, look at that. Look at the complexity of it. Look at the, the, the majesty of it. And here's what I want you to know when you see it. The same God that created all of that, He created you. Look at creation and then tell them the stories. Tell them these stories that are found in Scripture, but remind them these aren't just Bible stories. You know what the Bible is, right? The Bible is a collection 
of eyewitness accounts of all the things that God has done, of all the things that Jesus had done, of all the things that the Holy Spirit has done. Don't just tell them Bible stories. Tell them stories that are found in the Bible that, and remind them these are eyewitness accounts of all that God has done. And the same God that did all of this, that same God knows how many hairs are on your head. That same God knows you by name. That same God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. That same God knows you and loves you and wants you to know that there's nothing you could ever do to make him love you less. But don't just tell them those stories. Tell them your stories. Tell them your stories of how God has been present. God has been with you. God has been for you. Even in the most difficult of times, even in the darkest of times, even when you felt like God was a million miles away. But like we've been talking about, now you can look back and you can see how God was with you and God was for you. And so often God carried you. Tell them those stories because that incites wonder. But that also builds faith in their hearts, in their lives, so they can know that when they face hard times, they too can trust this same God. How do we do it, church? This is how we do it. And it's so important that we incite wonder in them, that we remind them that this same God, this same God is still working in this world and in our hearts and in our lives. And they can know Him and they can see Him if they'll open their eyes to the wonder of it all.